I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had to make a few clicks and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which from personal experience I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often. So stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical, shopify.com forward slash practical. Seed DSO-1 is a daily symbiotic, which is a probiotic and prebiotic formulated to provide benefits for gut immune function and whole body health. I take it every morning before I eat, which is when it works the best, and I have noticed a big difference in my digestion, regularity, and even my skin. It's nice that this benefit comes in a small package that needs no refrigeration and really is just a couple of simple, small pills. You also get this cool little travel vial in case you're traveling, so you don't have to stuff a bunch of loose pills in your pocket, which is nice. It's also nice that this product is so rigorously tested from a scientific perspective, which makes seeds probiotic research, development, and innovation programs a lot more trustworthy. So trust your gut health to Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com forward slash practical and use code 25practical to get 25% off of your first month. That's 25% off of your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com forward slash practical with the code 25 practical. Welcome back, my dear and fellow Prokoptan. I'm glad you're here. Today, apropos of my recent 40th birthday, we'll be diving into letter 12 from Seneca entitled On Old Age. And if you're asking yourself how long I will milk this I'm 40 now bit, don't worry just this one last time. And yes, I know 40 isn't old from some people's perspectives, but I have to play along with the social contract. Don't I have to complain about being 40? And either way, I am 40 and it's fun to play along sometimes. I will admit though that playing along has resulted in far too much cake over the last week or so, but thankfully after a surprise visit from a neighbor, a week of cake has finally come to an end and my blood sugar is grateful. Anyway, Letter number 12 from Seneca, entitled On Old Age, reads as follows. Wherever I turn, I see evidences of my advancing years. I visited lately my country place and protested against the money which was spent on the tumble-down building. My bailiff maintained that the flaws were not due to his own carelessness. He was doing everything possible, but the house was old and this was the house which grew under my own hands. What has the future in store for me? 
if stones of my own age are already crumbling. I was angry, and I embraced the first opportunity to vent my spleen in the bailiff's presence. It is clear, I cried, that these plane trees are neglected. They have no leaves, their branches are so gnarled and shriveled, the boles are so rough and unkempt. This would not happen if someone loosened the earth at their feet and watered them. The bailiff swore by my protecting deity that he was doing everything possible and never relaxed his efforts. But those trees were old. Well, between you and me, Lucilius, I had planted those trees myself. I had seen them in their first leaf. Then I turned to the door and asked, Who is that broken-down dotard? You have done well to place him at the entrance, for he is outward bound. Where did you get him? What pleasure did it give you to take up for burial some other man's dead? But the slave said, Do you not know me, sir? I am Felicio. You used to bring me little images. My father was Philocetus the steward, and I am your favorite slave. The man is clean crazy, I remarked. Has my favorite slave become a little boy again? But it is quite possible. His teeth are just dropping out. I owe it to my country place that my old age became apparent whithersoever I turned. Let us cherish and love old age, for it is full of pleasure, if one knows how to use it. Fruits are most welcome when almost over. Youth is most charming at its close. The last drink delights the topper, the glass which souses him and puts the finishing touch on his drunkenness. Each pleasure reserves to the end the greatest delights which it contains. Life is most delightful when it is on the downward slope, but has not yet reached the abrupt decline. And I myself believe that the period which stands, so to speak, on the edge of the roof, possesses pleasures of its own, or else the very fact of our not wanting pleasures has taken the place of the pleasures themselves. How comforting it is to have tired out one's appetites and to have done with them. But, you say, it is a nuisance to be looking death in the face. Death, however, should be looked in the face by young and old alike. We are not summoned according to our rating on the censors list. Moreover, no one is so old that it would be improper for them to hope for another day of existence. And one day, mind you, is a stage on life's journey. Our span of life is divided into parts. It consists of large circles enclosing smaller. One circle embraces the bounds of the rest. It reaches from birth to the last day of existence. The next circle limits the period of our young manhood. The third confines all of childhood in its circumference. Again, there is, in a class by itself, the year. It contains within itself all the divisions of time by the multiplication of which we get the total of life. The month is bounded by a narrower ring. The smallest circle of all is the day, but even a day has its beginning and its end, its sunrise and its sunset. Hence Heraclitus, whose obscure style gave him his surname, remarked, One day is equal to every day. Different persons have interpreted the saying in different ways. Some hold that days are equal in number of hours, and this is true. For if by day we mean 24 hours time, all days must be equal, inasmuch as the night acquires what the day loses. But others maintain that one day is equal to all days through resemblance because the very longest space of time possesses no element 
which cannot be found in a single day, namely light and darkness, and even to eternity, day makes these alternations more numerous, not different when it is shorter and different again when it is longer. Hence, every day ought to be regulated as if it closed the series, as if it rounded out and completed our existence. Pesuvius, who by long occupancy made Syria his own, used to hold a regular burial sacrifice in his own honor, with wine and the usual funeral feasting, and then would have himself carried from the dining room to his chamber, while eunuchs applauded and sang in Greek to a musical accompaniment. He has lived his life, he has lived his life. Thus, Pesuvius had himself carried out to burial every day. Let us, however, do from a good motive what he used to do from a debased motive. Let us go to our sleep with joy and gladness. Let us say, I have lived. The course which fortune set for me is finished. And if God is pleased to add another day, we should welcome it with glad hearts. That man is happiest and secure in his own possession of himself who can await the morrow without apprehension. When a man has said, I have lived, every morning he arises, he receives a bonus. But now I ought to close my letter. What, you say? Shall it come to me without any little offering? Be not afraid. It brings something, nay, more than something, a great deal. For what is more noble than the following saying of which I make this letter the bearer? It is wrong to live under constraint, but no man is constrained to live under constraint. Of course not. On all sides lie many short and simple paths to freedom. And let us thank God that no man can be kept in life. We may spurn the very constraints that hold us. Epicurus, you reply, uttered these words. What are you doing with another's property? Any truth, I maintain, is my own property, and I shall continue to heap quotations from Epicurus upon you, so that all persons who swear by the words of another and put a value upon the speaker and not upon the thing spoken may understand that the best ideas are common property. Every time that I say I have a favorite letter from Seneca, I read another I've forgotten about and declare that it is now my favorite. This letter is one such example of a new favorite. Seneca does so many beautiful things in this letter. He articulates the cantankerousness of age well, yes, but also the sadness, beauty, and inevitability of it. And even, though you'd miss it if you weren't reading carefully, the power in it. Comedically, he'd rather blame his gardener for the decrepit nature of his trees. He'd rather accuse his slave of lying than admit that he's grown old alongside him. And while he doesn't exactly paint a picture, it is impossible not to paint one yourself when reading this letter. The picture I paint, in my mind, is of a stone cottage with a moss-bespeckled roof, with cracked tiles and a small thread of water that's cascading over a few of those stones, dripping down the side of the house from last night's rain. Old apple trees, leafless, tilled soil but nothing planted. It is an overcast day. It is somewhat damp and cold. It is quiet. There's an aromatic of earth in the air, and there's a thin sheet of dust on the bookshelves and tables inside. An old clock ticks. There's a clink of china from the back of the house as an old man or woman 
puts down their cup of tea after reading the morning's paper. I imagine all this, not as Seneca's home, of course, but as my own. And if I'm being honest, with the exception of the dust on the books, it sounds lovely. But I think I'd also have a hard time settling into that life, going from doing and living to contentment and waiting to die, but not being afraid of death, not welcoming it either, of course, but knowing that I'm reserved to it, and it will be here soon enough. I think that transition is what Seneca is struggling with here, but then, and I admit I teared up when I read it, he said this, Let us cherish and love old age, for it is full of pleasure if one knows how to use it. Fruits are most welcome when almost over. Youth is most charming at its close. The last drink delights the topper, the glass which souses him and puts the finishing touch on his drunkenness. Think about that. The ripeness of a fruit is a harbinger of its rot. The sweetness of youth is truly found in looking back on it and smiling at it as you take your final or first of final steps away from it. Wasn't it grand? And the last drink of the night, sure, there will be a headache in the morning, maybe. But in that moment, isn't it true that the last drink of the night, as you say, all right, friends, it's been fun, take me home, isn't that the pinnacle of our night sometimes, the cherry on top of it, the end of the night, not the beginning or the middle. Seneca is reminding us that so many things are only truly at their best as they wrap up. And maybe you could construe that as a little bit morbid, but I don't. I find it to be poetic and true. So our house, or Seneca's in the case of this letter, is at its most charming and serene when it is falling apart. And it has that charm, maybe, because it has served us so well, and we slip into this state of appreciating it rather than expecting things from it. And we do that with our lives as well, I think. We slip into a state of appreciating what it has been, how wonderful it has been, even if we used to think it had been awful or not as wonderful as we wished it might have been. And we die that way, if we're lucky, appreciating it and expecting nothing from it. If we're very lucky, we can even live this way. And I think that is what Seneca attempted to do. I think that is what any Stoic tries to do. To appreciate life but expect nothing from it. Because, as we've spoken about early on in this podcast, it lends to you a sort of invincibility of spirit. And here, I think he means that truths, whether they be about mathematical things or scientific things or human experience things, truths are something everyone owns. And in ending today, I suppose I would like to ask what you think about the truths discussed in this letter and episode. Do you find them to be truths, or do you have a different opinion? Let me know in the Discord. If you haven't already joined, you can do so at stoicismpod.com forward slash discord. As always, thank you for listening today. I appreciate you being here. Please consider registering for our upcoming workshop on anger and rage. Admission is by donation only, and the minimum is just $1. You can learn more at actualstoicism.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, take care. Thank you.